Hi, this is Tamika Kasten-Miller, and you are listening to Think, Flow, Grow. At the end of this and every episode, you will find a meditation, so stay tuned. In Houston, we have a very hardy plant called purple queens. You might have seen them before. They're this beautiful, um, ambling, purple plant, and they grow really tall or really long, depends on how you are uh, harvesting them. But essentially, they're ground cover. And people love them because they're really pretty, and they grow fast, and they're hardy. And when you have Houston weather, which um, varies between extreme heat and then humidity, and then of course our infamous flooding, it's important to have some resilient foliage. Well, at my house we had purple queens and our little queens were doing really well in our garden. This is fantastic because I do not have a green thumb. So I was really excited. They were growing without really having to focus on them too much. And um, I just enjoyed them growing and I just uh, kind of forgot about them. A few months later, I noticed that our purple queens were struggling. They even looked like they were dying. And I couldn't figure out what had happened. I felt so sad about it. I, I, I was like, what changed? What was going on here? Our little queens. And we, you know, we hadn't had any exceptional weather. Um, we hadn't had anything that really should have changed uh, how they were growing. And, but I hadn't been paying attention to them for a while. And I did notice that there was an abundance of weeds in the garden too. Then I read uh, or someone told me that weeds were drinking up all of the nutrients in the soil. Therefore, the queens weren't getting what they needed to grow. I could not believe that such a hardy plant was stifled and had been stifled, um, that it just, it couldn't keep up. I think of how I do this in my life. I'm doing all of this work to step into the vision that I have and that I'm creating. Uh, things go really great. And as they're going great, I set them on cruise control. And so my endeavors are just going on their own. And then I move on to the next thing. Then the next thing I know is that something is going awry and it most likely could have been prevented if I would have been paying a bit more attention. Now, instead of doing occasional maintenance on myself or on my plan, I have to resuscitate it because I've almost starved it out of viability. What are the weeds in your garden that are stifling the fruits from growing and from being harvested? Consider what the fruits are of your practices of self-care, be it meditation or time for yourself or the practice of yoga. I'll focus on yoga 
and actually all of those things I just mentioned are part of yoga, but I'll practice, I'll focus on the physical practice of yoga right now because that is a really accessible um, point of entry for myself. So let's consider the fruits of the practice of yoga. So there are these terms that were introduced by uh, a Nobel laureate, um, Charles Scott Sherrington, um, right at the beginning of the century called proprioception, exteroception, and interoception. And as we're in the practice of yoga, mostly what we are being led to work on is proprioception, especially if we are in a deep asana practice. So this is really body awareness. And uh, the it's defined as the unconscious perception of movement and spatial orientation arising from stimuli within the body. Again, essentially it's just body awareness. And so theoretically, as we are practicing yoga, a fruit of that practice is increased body awareness or proprioception. There's also a term that is called or nociception, and this is how we perceive pain. So theoretically, as we um, are more in touch with ourselves, we can actually perceive pain. And in fact, it's not just pain, it's also like tissue damage or potential threats. So for me, for example, I know exactly when I'm having the onset of a cold, I can feel that tickle in my throat. Um, I can notice it in other people as well. Um, I've noticed that since I had um, my hip surgery, um, my right side of my body responds to things differently. And so I know that there is some tissue damage there just because I have a deep knowing of how my, or a deep nociception, I have a nociception, I have a deep way of recognizing how my body typically responds to things. Then I mentioned earlier exteroception, and this is sensitivity to stimuli outside of the body is how it's defined. Essentially, it's how you perceive your environment so that awareness of your environment. Uh, for example, if you're, you know, when you're just sitting there and you know, and you feel someone behind you or next to you, that is exteroception. And a fruit of our uh, yoga practice, not necessarily the physical practice, but a fruit of our yoga practice in general includes or is this increased awareness of energy, someone else being right next to you, someone else being in your, uh, your space. For me, I, I think of this as just awareness in general. Other people might call this an, the person's aura, but we are made up of energy and I feel energy shift when people uh, come in or out of a room, when someone is next to me, when they get closer or farther away. And one of the things I like to lead in my yoga classes is for all of us to 
tap into that energy that we transmit through breath. Um, this is our um, prana body or our energy body um, sharing space with other people. And definitely as we practice yoga, um, we get used to sh having that energy sharing uh, experience and practicing at home then becomes really different, especially like if you need to conserve energy, um, practicing at home, you'll find is a way of doing that because there's not that same energetic exchange as there is when you're practicing at a studio. And of course, if you're, you know, this doesn't only apply to yoga when you're out anywhere and you're having an energetic exchange, um, you might find that you need to step out away from that situation to hold on to your energy. And it's that sense of exteroception that is building awareness to that. And certainly a fruit of a practice of just being in community is developing this sense of exteroception. And then there's interoception. And this is something that we work on a lot in the yin and restorative practices. And this is um, the felt experience of the internal workings of the body. So uh, for me, this is body-mind connection. Um, how do I feel about how I feel? Um, how can I create a connection between what I am sensing and uh, what I am uh, what I feel about what I sense and can I use my own uh, body intelligence or internal awareness to regulate things so for example can I calm down using my breath so connecting a body response using the mind is interoception also cultivating this internal world um, is also interoception. So this awareness is certainly a fruit of the practice of especially the more intuitive forms of yoga, meditation, um, any type of, of self-care can be uh, an exercise in the development of interoception. Um, how are we then cultivating those fruits and what what do those fruits look like for you? Perhaps that's something that you can think about. But as we're considering the, the weeds in our garden, consider whether or not those fruits are growing, whether or not they're being experienced, are they being harvested, and is there a possibility that those fruits are being poisoned? And if so, what are the weeds in your garden? So for me, weeds in my garden have been people, behaviors, and thoughts. And I have found that they are usually connected so the more loving I am with my thoughts, the more likely I am to have people in my life 
who treat me in a way that supports that compassion. So my thoughts inform the relationships that I'm willing to have, which support the behaviors that I am participating in with myself and with others. Now, sometimes the weeds are people or behaviors or thoughts that we have uh, brought into our lives on purpose or by accident. And sometimes they are completely outside of ourselves. So for example, the news, the news has created um, a single story about blackness, about Latinidad, about immigrants, uh, and even about cisgender straight white men. There has been, especially lately, um, just a cycle of single stories about individuals so that these labels can be adhered in an easy way. And, and they are damaging. Uh, Chimamanda Adichie speaks to the danger of creating a single story as putting people in so tight of a box that then just this one way or this one definition of how a person is uh, interpreted becomes the only definition. There's there's no uh, uh, extended framework. So as a for myself as a black woman, that means that I am this one thing, and that creates uh, problems in the way that. I see myself and of course is the way other people see me. An example of this is when people met Michelle Obama for the first time um, back before she was the first lady and people did not know how to handle who she was because they could not wrap their minds around there being a black woman who was not um, loud or who was not um, the way that black women are portrayed, loud, um, oversexed, um, having lots of children outside of wedlock, um, overweight, m motherly. There were all of these things that had, there was this, this story that had been created around what a black woman was and Michelle Obama was none of those things. Uh, and then when, and so people just kind of lost their minds around, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like her. I don't trust her. I don't know why. And this is um, something that affects us in this super deep way because how then do we define ourselves when we have all these people trying to tell us who we are? It takes a very strong person to be able to counter that and say, no, this is who I am regardless of the story that has been created around who I am. And I have experienced this as well with people who I grew up with saying, that, you know, I spoke in a way that was, I spoke in white or I uh, enjoyed a variety of music that, that, you know, and I needed to listen to hip hop because it was black or whatever the case may be. So essentially their story was on what blackness looked like. And I had to fit into that particular story or there was confusion around it or even bullying around it. Um, and as a kid growing up, that's, difficult. How do I navigate that? 
as a as a teenager just trying to figure out the world and then i have everyone trying to tell me how i am supposed to behave how then do i cultivate a sense of who i am uh how i feel and how how i'm supposed to uh, interact with the world and this is way beyond me just trying to uh, figure out anything else about my internal world and we we have these single stories that are created that then become um, very damaging weeds that are in the the garden of our lives right and then we also have these histories that are these narratives that are being created um, at any given time that are not accurate. So as you have learned, I'm a historian, and one of the things that really interests me is uh, the narrative around, well, there are two, the narratives around uh, immigration and blackness. So the narrative, I'll start with immigration because it's easier. The narrative around immigration is this, is that there's this new, it's a new thing and all of a sudden people are coming into um, the United States from all these areas or people are coming into Europe from all of these places um, and we need to close our borders, build walls and do all of these things. All of these immigrants are coming in. Immigration, migration has been a thing since the beginning of time. If migration weren't a thing, we would all still be on the African continent, period. Migration has been a thing. People have always moved for refuge, food, water, safety. There's always been a thing. These are, migration has happened over millennia and people have always moved. And then when people started creating definitions of what piece of land belonged to whom and none of it belongs to anyone but when people started imposing definitions of what began what belonged to who and the roman empire decided to say oh well you now are a part of the roman empire and everyone outside of this they're barbarians or they are you know all of these other things it started creating an identity within these imaginary walls of who belonged and who didn't belong and those imaginary walls have been even though we have um, gone through falls and rises of various empires we have kept that same that same perspective of who belongs where even though there aren't technically any walls anymore you know all the old european walls are down there's no one kind of outside of an empire and inside of an empire perhaps now the walls are oceans and lakes and and such but this idea of people moving across these imaginary lines is something that's new and invasive is ridiculous if anyone has any sense of history they know that this is something that has always been a thing and then there's always also the story in the of 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 uh, blackness and slavery. It's very always very interesting to me that uh, blackness, especially in 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 the Western world, begins with slavery. 
it's uh, the story our story begins somehow with and 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 even more interesting in the united states the story begins with jonestown but <laughs> there's a complete um misunderstanding or amnesia around the fact that slavery did not start in what is now um, the United States. In fact, it actually started in the Caribbean um, in the iteration that we're thinking, but also that slavery did not start in the Western world. Slavery has been a thing for millennia. And it, if we go back to biblical or religious text, we know that Egyptians had slaves, right? We know that this this was always happening and it always had to do with who had power at that time. So if you went to war with another group of people and you lost, then you became their slaves. After having paid them what you owed for going to war with them, then you became that person, that you and your family became that other family's slaves or that other group's slaves. It never had anything to do with blackness, whiteness. It never had anything to do with the way that a person looked. It simply had to do with, did you win? Are you a winner or are you a loser? And depending on that answer was a determining factor as to whether or not you became someone's slave. And it's not until uh, the Western world begins to get slaves specifically from one area. So this is hundreds of years have passed in which slavery is a thing. And then we come to a bustling African continent that is full of minerals and gold and precious uh, materials that everyone wants. And we have the richest of, of humans existing on the African continent and also in what is now the Asian continent. We have all of these riches and wealth that are, that are existing outside of what is now Europe. And people are thriving and creating all of their um, cultivating all of their riches and harvesting all of these goods and, and so on and so forth. And of course, there are people who, again, are winners and losers. Therefore, there are people who are slaves and there are people who are not. And Europe, what is now Europe, Europeans begin to capitalize on this saying, hey, look, we have, um, we have gunpowder, you don't. And we have these things you don't. We have, we have paper. We have um, textile. We have these these very useful items. Would you like them in exchange for um, humans that we're then going to use to work and as we continue moving about the planet? And this exchange happens, and of course this begins in the Caribbean. I say of course, but a lot of people don't realize this, that it begins in the Caribbean, what begins in, um, in what is now the Dominican Republic and um, Haiti and in Cuba. You have all of these people who are, are coming in who are slaves because they lost, 
and they just so happen to be melanated people. They just so happen to be darker people. Over the course of time, when slaves continue to, or Africans that now become stolen from their lands and turned into human chattel, the association with blackness and slavery becomes synonymous. But before the transatlantic slave trade, slavery was not associated with blackness. It was associated with the loser of a particular situation. But somehow in the Western world, particularly in the United States, we frame all of the history of blackness around slavery, post-slavery, and slave mentality. And this is our colonial hangover, where this is where blackness is framed. And so this is, a, again, a single story saying that this is where your history is, you are still feeling the effects of it, and you are still a victim of it. And this is not me saying that we do not have the effects of slavery that have informed how our society works. Obviously, we have institutionalized racism, we have all of these things. But what I am saying is that by starting the conversation about blackness and, our, and, and who we are and our identity at slavery completely erases everything that preceded it. All of the history of chiefs and kings and queens is then erased. The same with immigration, with creating, with framing immigration as a construct of modern life, then we now then otherize the people who are migrating. We create uh, brown and black immigrants, whereas immigration has always been um, a, a movement of, or migration has always happened and has always been a movement of every group of people who have ever existed have always moved for whatever reason. But by turning that into a single story, then we get to then create a narrative around a certain group of people. So what does this, why does this matter? Well, because the fruits of our practice then are affected by these narratives. So for example, with exteroception, there's an increase of exteroception or a hyper awareness of what's around us. For example, if you're a black or brown person, how do you feel when there are police officers around? Or if you're a woman, how do you feel when there are strange men around? This hyper awareness is a hallmark symptom of PTSD. And this is really exteroception, which is a gift of the practices that we're, we are uh, engaging in with yoga, meditation, self-care, all of these, these gifts of just being able to sense energy then becomes uh, a, an exaggerated form of that. So now we're fearful of those around us because of the stories that have been created around uh, or these narratives that have been created around who we are and the world we live in. So is that, a, is that what's happening 
in your world, are you hyper aware of the ones people around you or can you be completely at peace in a room full of people or in a room full of strangers? There's an increase in nociception or the increase of sensation of pain in the body. Have you noticed that you have pain in the body but don't know why? When we have all of these experiences and we have memories, our memories then create emotions that are attached to these experiences. And then these emotions then of sadness or unhappiness create a physical response in the body, which is oftentimes pain. So this ability to sense pain then becomes um, something that is, is problematic because the body is having a physical uh, experience or response to a memory of an emotion or the memory that has created an emotion. So is that something that you're experiencing or is your body operating from rest and ease? And then with interoception, this ability to have a mind-body connect connection, do you notice that if someone angers you, that you just jump to reaction and your whole body reacts to a situation? This increased um, reactive state between your mind and your body, I am angry and my entire body ignites and it jumps to reaction and responds to this particular stimulus? Or is it possible to just take a deep breath and change um, how you feel about a particular situation and subsequently not have that same physical reaction? Is there a possibility of equanimity? So these are things that we know that we experience um, in our bodies, or maybe you did not know, but this, these are experiences that we have. And whereas they normally would be gifts, they can become um, detrimental to our state of being because there's no more ease, there's no more um, peace. And in fact, then there could be disease or disease. So I find that what is important is asking yourself, okay, what is it that I actually want to experience or how do I want to um, live my life? What do I, what is the vision for my life? Not only what is it that I'm doing and what does my life look like in terms of work or play, but also how do I want to feel as I move about my life? So for me and in my life, I really appreciate cultivating more interoception or the, the way that I, the, this body-mind connection. And in my own life, in my own practice, this is what I enjoy because I have for so long been disconnected. Um, my body and my mind has been disconnected away from one another. I before didn't notice how what I ate 
um, produce the feeling of either pain or bloatedness, which then made me feel sluggish and or feel unhappy about the way that my body looked. So I would eat a certain thing and then I'm mad about my protruding belly. That body-mind connection wasn't necessarily there. Uh, in fact, it was kind of bastardized because I would have, I'm angry, I'm going to go have a glass of wine. That was also a, a, a body uh, or a mind connection with a response, but I didn't notice how it affected my body. So now for me, cultivating interoception is very important. Why am I responding the way that I'm responding? How do I feel about how I'm responding? And then what do I do um, in response to that? But for you, what is it that you need? What you really need? It's going to be different for everyone. For example, if you've suffered from a traumatic brain injury, your whole focus might just be on increasing body awareness uh, while someone else with uh, MS, for example, might be working on using the body and mind to heal or reduce chronic pain. So what are you trying to do in your life and how is that vision being supported by the fruits of your practice? This then comes back to what is interrupting the fruits of your practice. It's one of the things that I have found in order to come to a clear answer of what is it that I'm trying to do in my life? And then also how is that vision being supported by the fruits of my practice? And then from there, what is interrupting that process? is coming back to satya or the yogic concept of truthfulness in yoga sutra 2.36 it is stated that to one established in truthfulness actions and their results become subservient so what this means is that once we define truth once we figure out what truth is and what we're about and once we peel back all the layers of um, the single story, all of the crap narratives that are out there that tell us who we are, and once we come back to the truthfulness of who we really are and what we're really about, all of our experiences then corroborate that truth. Everything around us then falls in line with that narrative because that narrative is truth. So as we learn to calm our minds, we're less reactionary when things are said and done that don't fall into that category of truth because truth is truth. And there's no need to fight or counter arguments of what's not true. So if someone called the moon the sun, you wouldn't fight with them over that. You would just say, well, no, the sun's the sun. That's what it is. And you wouldn't argue the validity of that fact. So when you find the truth or your truth of who you are, your vision and what you're about, there's no arguing with it or succumbing to thoughts that don't support it. It just is. So then how do we then cultivate satya or truthfulness? Well, the first thing is slow down and listen. Yoga Sutra 2.54 
talk, speaks to pratehara or turning inward. And this is something that we definitely do in meditation, in contemplation, and also when we're in the slower yogic practices. In fact, this actually can be done in the more uh, lively and active yogic practices. It just is a lot more difficult. It takes a more experience to be able to turn inward in a power flow class, for example. But this ability to turn inward is pratyahara. And there is a phenomenal uh, way of looking at this that I did not develop. I read it that uh, relates the senses as a mirror. I love this uh, because when we think about the senses as a mirror, if we have our senses reflected outward, if we have our mirror turned outward, we're going to bring in all of the messaging, all of the the stories and all of the the things that are outside of us that tell us what we should sense that tell us what we should feel um, and experience through the senses and if we're using our senses then we are actually feeling producing a response to everything that we are bringing into that mirror now, if we turn the mirror toward ourselves and we turn inward, well, what's inward? You may think that the response is, well, all my crap is inward. All of my, all of my story, all of my, my drama, all of the craziness I have in my head. No, what's actually inward is pure truth and light. Now your mirror might have some dust on it. And it might need some dusting. It might need some cleaning up. And in that, that's why we use meditation. That's why we use stillness. That's why we turn inward more often is to actually turn to that truth. But ultimately, if we do the work, the mirror, our senses will reflect pure light. That is us because that is who we are. So that's the first way to cultivate truthfulness and let go of all these other things. Another is to search for the truth between the narratives. So Yoga Sutra 2.55, for example, speaks to the continual turning inward, the practice of pratyahara or the practice of turning inward. So doing this consistently enables us to gain mastery over our senses. So as long as we are turning inward, we gain a mastery over how we see ourselves so that we are able to be in truth. This is a throwback to Yoga Sutra 1.3 in which we're talking about cultivating the observer. It's really hard to be an observer to who we are and our practice and our relationships and the way that we interact with one another and the way that we see ourselves if we are not seeing truth because then everything is reaction to the lie everything is a reaction to all of the the crap that is that we've been made to believe or that we've accepted as truth about ourselves 
So by turning inward, we actually are then seeing ourselves more clearly, dusting off that mirror through the practice of meditation to then see truth. And then when we are firmly established in this truth, we can speak truth to bullshit. We can speak truth to all of the lies, especially when they are our own. So for me, I observe how I'm talking to myself and I acknowledge whether I'm in story or I'm in truth. And this takes some emotional intelligence and definitely awareness. This is something that I have been working on my whole life and this is a whole life's work. And it'll take the guides and the mirrors that we have in others who come into our lives and who are willing to speak truth to our crap and be able to say, that is not you. What are you talking about? That is not true. That's not who you are. It takes being able to listen to that and dusting off our mirrors with meditation that have gotten dirty because we have not been either practicing pratyahara or we have had too much too much time of the mirror being turned outward and receiving these other messages that are crap that are the world's messages to keep you in a single story or an oppression or whatever the case may be those messages are not your own and therefore they are not truth so ultimately to properly maintain the garden of our lives, to maintain our souls, to maintain our mindsets. We have to know what is meant to be there and what is trash. And what thoughts or people or habits or blooms or fruits are meant for that garden. Let there be no weeds in your garden. Prepare for meditation by finding a comfortable seat or lying down position. Feel free to pause this recording while you're getting comfortable. Now notice the connection between all of the parts of your body that are touching the floor or the seat. Notice the connection between your head and that which is behind you, your shoulders, the supporting your shoulders or just anything supporting them. Do you notice the clothes touching your body? Notice the connection between your lower body and the floor, the chair, and sense how you feel in your body. Now notice your breath. What is the location of your breath? Is it at your chest? Or do you feel the rise and fall of your low belly? Do your ribs expand? 
and perhaps sense all three. The breath coming in through your nostrils, passing your chest, ribs expand and belly expands. And on your exhale, you feel all of those sensations in reverse. Continue noticing a deep, full inhalation, beginning at your nostrils, going all the way down to your pelvic floor. And on your exhale, make the journey along the spine all the way up to your nostrils. Inhale and feel your ribs expand wide. Exhale, feel your ribs contract as your breath escapes through your nose. This time, find your inhale creeping toward the crown of your head. And as you exhale, your exhale, it leaves through your nostrils. And do that again. Find your inhale, draw it toward the crown of your head. And then exhale out of your nose. Now attempt to feel the sensation in both directions. Inhale to the crown of your head and then also downward toward your pelvic floor, expanded ribs. And as you exhale, the breath makes the same journey toward your nose. Do that again, fill the breath, go up and down in the body, widen your ribs. And as you exhale, make space for new breath. Now, how are you feeling in your body? Bring your awareness to any physical sensations that you notice. Do you notice warmth or cold? Hunger or fullness? Tingly or absolute relaxation? Do you feel heavy or light? Notice your tongue and the space where your tongue meets the back of your throat. Sense your neck and any tension in your shoulders. Notice your low back your hamstrings, sense your feet, and continue to feel these physical sensations in your body. Ask yourself, what does your body need right now for nourishment? Now bring your awareness to how you feel, any emotions that you sense. Do you sense one emotion 
Or is there more than one emotion that you sense? Ask yourself, what is it that your heart needs to feel supported and joy-filled? Now bring your awareness to the quality of your thoughts. Notice your thoughts, see them. Notice if they are supportive and kind thoughts, or are they hurtful or overly critical? See yourself and your thoughts. Allow for your thoughts to become words that you can see in front of you. Ask yourself, what does your mind need to be free, supportive, and kind? And now bring awareness to the space between your eyes. See your third eye. Notice it open. And now bring your awareness to the crown of your head. Sense a light at the crown of your head and notice any sensations here. Sense your connection to your higher self or your intuition. Perhaps you use the language of spirit or the divine or God Sense your connection to that which is bigger than you. See yourself as light. Sense your awareness all over your body, extending beyond your skin. And bring your awareness back to your head, to the crown of your head. And sense this connection to that which is greater than you. Ask yourself, what does your soul need to be at peace? Listen for the answers. What are the fruits 
of your practice today. What is the truth of your heart? Who are you in the highest version of yourself? Bring into your awareness the people or situations, words, behaviors that do not serve the highest version of yourself. Those things that create dis-ease. Those people or places or behaviors that impede the blooming that is inherent in your garden, the fruits that are meant for you. Identify them now and on your next exhale, let them go. Know that you are in choice. You can allow for those weeds to stay gone. The weeds that you have taken time to pull so that your garden can be nourished and can receive all of the nutrients of all of the work that you are doing and you have done to cultivate the gifts and the fruit of your practice. You are in choice as to whether or not you allow those weeds to come back. And the weeds will always attempt to come back. Know that you have all of the ability, the strength and the power to extract what does not need to be there and know that you know what your heart needs and that you are pure light and truth. Take a deep inhale in. Exhale, let something go. And do that again, take a full inhale, breathe in all of your practice today. And exhale, let go of that which no longer serves you. And on your ready, step into your new way of being. Begin wiggling your fingers and your toes, bringing awareness back to your physical body. Deepen your breath.
and give gratitude for this now more empowered, more embodied version of yourself, this higher version of self. And all of the work that you have done and continue to do to come into truth. It is my honor to guide you through this practice. As you blink open your eyes, see yourself as new and freshly tilled, freshly pruned, and see the garden of your life. It is always my goal to leave you better than I found you. I hope that happened for you today. Namaste. You've been listening to Think, Flow, Grow. I'm Tamika Kasten of Ashe Yoga, based in Houston, Texas, yet available worldwide. Have any topics that are on your mind or that you'd like discussed? I'd love to hear from you. I'd also love your feedback. Feel free to email me at tamika at asheyoga.com and find more ways to connect at asheyoga.com as well. Are you a woman who is tired of what society has been telling us we are, we can, or can't do? Are you interested in finding a tribe versus just going on a vacation? Find your tribe at the Ascendant Goddess Retreat happening this October in New Hampshire. Enjoy the incredible fall foliage of New England as you connect with other women and learn from this red tent styled event. Red tents have been happening around the world for millennia. And this art of communication between women has been lost. It is my vision that I create a space where women of multiple generations and ethnicities can come together, communicate and learn from one another so that we can grow as a collective. If you'd like more information about the Ascendant Goddess Retreat, please find it at AscendantGoddess.com or email me directly at Tamika at AsheYoga.com.